Welcome to the Golden Age of Cardboard podcast, where we remember a time when stacks of cards were held together with rubber bands and Mickey Mantles were put in bike spokes. We hope you will enjoy and reminisce as you come along with us as we tell stories about the baseball cards from the Golden Age of Baseball. We will examine the state of the vintage baseball card market and talk to some of the greatest collectors in the hobby. You won't be hearing us talk about any chrome or shiny cards here. Now, to take you on this retrospective journey, here's your host, direct from the shallow end of the gene pool, my son, Mike Moynihan. Yo and hello everybody, Mike Moynihan here. Welcome to another episode of the Golden Age of Cardboard podcast where we talk things vintage and cards and all kinds of stuff. And you know, last week I did a great episode with Eric talking about the National. I'm super pumped about that. And I I, I love all shows, really. I There's something special about going to a card show. And there's a gentleman that I'm that I'm having a conversation with today. Uh, his name is John Keating. That 70s sports car or sports show, which is a great card show. Hang on, he'll he'll correct me in a second because he's going to be like Mike, you idiot. But he, uh, John and I, John I think has been a longtime viewer of my channel, and we've we've connected in a way now because we're both hosts on a show called Hobby Hotline, and I've gotten to know John a little bit. And I, you know, he is just a, a great guy. He's, he's a very similar mindset. And so one thing I want to do is just have these conversations with collectors. I think I get too into hobby news or just hobby stuff. And it's fun to talk about all that, but it's also fun to change it up and just have a, a conversation with a fellow collector and kind of pick their brain and see how they tick and all that. So let me bring John on. John, welcome to the show, man. How are you? Good, Mike. Thanks for having me. Big fan and a big honor to be here. Well, uh, the honor's mine, and I appreciate it. Uh, correct me on my sh- on your show. I'm such an idiot. That '70s card show. That '70s card. It's a great name, by the way. I Thanks, love it. man. I appreciate it. Uh, so, how? What's your hobby story? I mean, I know nobody likes telling their hobby story because they think it's boring, and I know you think yours is boring. I don't think any hobby story is boring because they're all kind of unique. Well, thankfully, I grew up in the greatest uh, sporting decade of all time, the 1970s. Um, born in the late 60s in Philadelphia and um, youngest of three boys. So uh, fortunately for me, the card collection of my brothers got thrown away, but my mom wised up by the time I came around. So I didn't have the uh, trauma of having my cards thrown away, and they were actually, I guess, more protected than anything. My mom realized um, <clears throat> the benefit of having cards. So... Uh, she was a big sports fan. Uh, my father, uh, not he was a sports fan, but my dad was the uh, son of Irish immigrants, so we didn't get a lot from that side. But spent a lot of time going Sorry. to sporting events. Oh, no worries, and uh, watching them with my mom and little league, all that stuff. So you're a busy man, Mike Moynihan. No, it's a that's a long story. That's another collector guy calling. <laughs> it's all your advertisers canceling now that I'm on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, yeah, that's about it. I mean, normal normal upbringing. Uh, you know, I I was fortunate to come. Uh, not only w- were the sports, I think, sports great in the seventies, but you know, the end of the seventies, you know, the hobby became uh, probably the first explosion in the hobby. Right? Um, we know about the junk wax era. We know about the current uh, boom. But I think the late seventies, uh, thanks to Doctor Jim, um, had a lot of uh, influence on a lot of collectors and it kind of made it, um, you know, I was a kid, I guess I was, I was 11 when Dr. Jim's book, first book came out, but, uh, you know, all of a sudden there was something that that adults could do and that kids could do and it was acceptable and shows blew up. You could go to a show every, you know, once a month back then, which was kind of a big deal. And, uh, yeah, it was a, I think it was a great time to, to collect. So, um, kind of went dormant, um, I moved houses. I bought the house I'm in right now in 2000 and, and kind of never opened up my collection other than the slabs that I had. Um, so 
kind of went uh, deep cover there for a while. I tell people I started collecting credit cards instead of uh, baseball cards. And um, but uh, my my oldest son, uh, I think he'll be twenty five soon. He'll uh, he kind of got me back into it over the last year or so. So uh, still had all my cards, um, and uh, only got rid of a couple of cards over the years that I regret. But other than that, still going strong. Awesome. When you think about the state of the hobby now, given how long you've been in it, what what are just some general thoughts about the, the health of the hobby, the future of the hobby? Well, I think, you know, we're, the hobby's like a cockroach. It's not going anywhere, right? It's not going to exist in the form that I grew up in or the current form. Uh, it's always evolving, always changing. I think at this point we can all agree that um, – we can all agree that the hobby's not going anywhere, right? I think the the, the most devastating news anybody heard uh, in their entire collecting life was was Tops not getting the baseball license, right? I think that that's the worst thing you can have happen, and and obviously we've weathered the storm there. Uh, cheating scandals, in fact, uh, you know, trimming. Uh, 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 counterfeit cards, all that stuff. That's been around forever. You know, I remember in the eighties with the Pete Rose rookie cards and, and all that stuff. And, you know, the, 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 the top of the, the apex of the uh, hobby, you know, we, we've come to find out that that Hannes Wagner card, the Gretzky Hannes Wagner card is, is, uh, a bit of a Fugazi as well. So, I mean, the hot, nothing's got, nothing going to kill the hobby as far as I'm concerned, right? People come in and out, but at this point it's bulletproof. That's an interesting point. And uh, first of all, I love that you use the word Fugazi on Thank my you. show. On the East Coast. That's <laughs> fantastic. Uh, I'll say y'all a lot being okay. from Texas. So that means you all. It's a contraction. So, okay. All right. I, no. Um, the, the hobby's bulletproof. The more I'm in it, the more I realize the reality of that statement. That, that is completely true. As it's been through the ringer scandal wise and people oh, grading's a scam and this is a scam and that's a scam and PWCC and you name it, all these different things, the hobby moves on. Right. And I'm not saying that people aren't hurt by that or that those things are good. They're not. I'd rather none of that stuff happen. And yet it does. And yet we all go, okay, uh, that sucks. Let's move on. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. it's funny how resilient the hobby is to me. You know, what's interesting about it is obviously there are plenty of avenues to, uh, plenty of ways to collect, plenty of ways to acquire cards, right, from sellers, whether it's shows or Facebook, Twitter, you know, wh whomever. But it's, it's interesting that the, the some of the perceived bad actors – and I'm going to be, be nice when I say perceived, but some of the perceived bad actors continue to, to flourish, which is – you know, I don't know what I, I don't know the analogy you can draw there, but people get turned off, yet not enough people get turned off to to uh, completely shun some of these bad actors. But you know, to each of their own, I guess, right? Do you think it's naive it, that they're naive people or ignorant in the sense that they just or they just don't care? I, I don't they know. Don't care. Yeah, it's greed. Um, I mean, it's greed. I mean, greed is a is a sometimes a tough word to digest, but it is greed because people want whether they want to flip a card or buy a card for a cheaper price than they would have bought, you know, with a suspect provenance, uh, whether they, you know, that they would have gotten from somewhere else, you know, that people just want want uh, to take shortcuts and and whatever, and I'm you know I'm not disparaging them. But, uh, you know, sh shortcuts are a plenty in this hobby and, and uh, doesn't seem to be any kind of, you know, slowing up of that. People people are just going to do it, you know. And it's been around. It's, it's As long as the hobby, people that are older than me can tell you the shenanigans that have happened in the hobby uh, throughout time. It's not a new thing. It's just uh, it's a little bit more amplified because of the volume, but it's, it's uh, no different than, you know, you and I spoke a little while back about uh, autographs and the, the the kids, the bat boys, and the and the um, 
clubhouse. The, ba- the Bat Boys in the clubhouse signing autographs, where Frank had his video about uh, um, Roy Campanella's wife signing. You know, it's 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 uh, it's been prevalent in the hobby forever. So. Yeah, the the almighty dollars influence influences everything, right? right? Not just our hobby, but in our hobby particularly. I don't know if you saw episode two of Chasing Cardboard. Yep. Small plug for that. If you don't watch Chasing Cardboard on YouTube, you should. Uh, it's a show that I'm involved in, so full disclaimer there. But at the same time, the second episode was he was meeting with this guy who had a bunch of stuff from the 50s that his mom had saved for him, similar to you. Your mom saved your cards. And he just talked about it when he was how it was back in the 50s when they would just buy cards and trade them. And, and the, the monetary value was completely irrelevant. Right. And I like to think that I was that way early in my life, in my collecting life. But this was when I was a kid. And to be to be frank, monetary value didn't matter at all on anything, including baseball cards. Like I didn't know how much a gallon of milk costs or knew I wanted an ice cream cone or something. I didn't think, man, somebody's got to work to make the money to pay for that, to this and that. And as you age that cynicism and bitterness of life starts to wear on you and you go, man, there's, there's dollar signs attached to everything that we do. And, uh, that doesn't have to, you know, rob the joy of all of it. You can still enjoy it. And, uh, I think that hobby, this hobby, if you do it right, doesn't have to be all about money. It's not that money is a bad thing. Money is a tool, right? And, I say this. I've been called a tool, by the way. Well, well yeah. so Ed McMahon came back. <laughs> uh, Norman is in here. If you're not watching on YouTube, uh, my puppy, who uh, John has an affinity for Norman. I He's like all, Norman. Yeah. <laughs> how's Norman doing? Yeah. Uh, so are you? Uh, for I have two questions. Are you? Would you classify yourself more as vintage or modern or a hybrid or and then? Are you a, a grading guy? Like, do you like grading? Or are you not a grading guy or some hybrid? Well, I, uh, I've always said that I wanted to collect every car, right? So I had a bit of a, you know, you always come to a crossroads with your, your collection at some point, right? And in the end of last year, I acquired a big collection, which was mostly, you know, 90s on up to modern day. And, and you know, part of me says I should... Uh, sort all this out, sell it so that I can get more vintage. But uh, I like to collect uh, more on a horizontal, you know, horizontally than vertically. So uh, I like to have, you know, I have about probably 2,800 type cards in my collection, right? So that's, if you look on my Beckett database, there's at least, I think, 2,800 different sets that I have a card of. So I think that that's, I think that that's wonderful, and I think that I like to collect that way. I do have, uh, you know, an affinity. I mean, vintage is my my thing. I love I love vintage. I have over my enormous forehead. If I duck a little, you can see all the sets in a row of of the '80s right there. That's that's Fleer, Don Ross, and Tops above me. So I have all that. I have most of the '70s at this point, working into the '60s, and I have, you know, I have a lot of vintage cards. And I will continue to go backwards for sure. Um, I don't necessarily seek out the modern stuff. But, um, you know, you and I have spoken on Hobby Hotline about this, about I, I'm not a big fan of the modern game, right? I, there's so much romanticism with the old ball players, and I think that there's so much to mine there, not only with cards, but just with, with the history of... of I'd, I'd rather spend three hours um, clicking through baseball reference than, than three hours at a baseball game watching seven pitchers pitch a no-hitter or whatever it is, Right. So, um, and, and a question I have for you, which I'll, I'll ask you in a minute, uh, I'm going to flip, I'm going to flip it on you and, and ask you a question that might make you think too, but I, I'm more of a, a fan of, uh, the cards than I am of the sport at this, at this point. Um, if I want to have a good time reading about baseball, there's plenty of books to read about and there's plenty of things to read about in the past. So I think we're fortunate there. Uh, it's kind of like my music as well. I couldn't tell you a uh, who is I couldn't name you one band in the top forty on Billboard right now. Okay, <laughs> okay. but if you wanted to talk about you know bands from the seventies, let's do it. Right. So, 
so that's that. I, I even though my collection is broad, um, I still prefer the vintage stuff. Uh, now over the other shoulder, this shoulder here is is these are all boxes of five uh, five thousand count boxes of for each year of the two thousands. So, you know, I do have cards obviously from this millennium. I know that sounds funny to say that, but uh, it's the other guys over there that I prefer, right? And that's uh, I have a couple cases of slab cards. I don't. Um, I don't obviously I don't have nearly what you have. I barely have any, right? I have maybe a hundred slabs, uh, and almost evenly down the middle between SGC and PSA. And there's one uh, BVG slab up there somewhere. I've I don't chase the uh, slabs. I, I I do like to buy slabs because of the you know kind of one more step towards authenticity for the cards. And uh, I've slabbed. I, I did a submission last year about. Um, 20 cards of the SGC of mine that I wanted to make sure that they were encapsulated because they mean a lot to me, right? And and that's my motivation for that is either authenticity or preservation of cards. Um, <clears throat> with that, yeah, with that said, I have also my uh, my big head is blocking, uh, you know, the 5K count boxes of 50s and 60s stuff as well. So I do have a lot of uh, unslabbed uh, cards, but um, yeah, I mean, it doesn't motivate me. Like I said, I'm half and half on SGC and PSA, but um, you know, cards are just fun to look at, whether they're in plastic or not. So, so my question for you is, and, yes, uh, I know you're a big baseball fan, and uh, I can see that by your Texas Rangers hat. Do you think? What do you think uh, fuels? Uh, does does your love of the sport fuel your collecting, or does your love of collecting fuel your um, your sport um, fanaticism? I don't know that those have to be mutually exclusive, uh, but I've I've had an affinity for the sport as long as I can remember. Mm-hmm. I don't. I, maybe those talking with my dad a few. Um, I don't know if that was a month ago or two months ago, but I don't know. We, we, we talked beforehand, like, do you remember me loving baseball before I started buying cards? And and he couldn't really remember that there was a distinction there because I was eight years old. I mean, how much can you really know before right. you're probably <laughs> like, you can say you love X, Y, Z as a four-year-old, but do you really even know what that means, right? But even so, then, it would have been, an, you know, and I'm in the same boat, it would have been an accessory cards, right? Because we love the sport. Right. Right. I mean, it was it was an accessory to the, to the, to the you know, a gateway to the sport. Um, but as you grow older, it becomes a different story. I think I'm on, you know, you're saying it's not mutually exclusive, but, you know, I love the cards. Um, I don't necessarily love the sport at this point at this point which is but i love the but i love the cards that tell me the history of the sport for sure so that because i again i love reading old books about the sport and stories of days gone by so to speak which is kind of romanticized in and of itself like you said and i don't care Mm -hmm. I, i love just you know, I love watching Ken Burns and hearing stories right. over and over again. And I don't, I don't care that I've heard it before. I want to hear it again. It's like your favorite movie or something. You know, I, I right. can, I can watch Bobby Thompson hit his home run over and over. And I don't get tired of hearing the giants win the pennant, right. the giants win, the, you know, those types of moments that are, I think, unique in baseball. Do they uh, still happen? Time will tell, right? Um, I, I think there are some moments in relatively modern baseball history. I, I, moments that I think about are when uh, the Braves won game seven against the Pirates and Sid Bream rumbling yep. its way around third. But that's not even new. That's right, pretty 30, old. 30 plus years, right? Uh, I guess that does. God trying to think of a recent moment that I went, wow. I mean, 98 was obviously a big deal. That was now 25 years ago, you know? Yeah. I just feel like Albert Pujols and Miguel Cabrera are two of the finest players that have played the game. Right. And I feel like they're, you know, they're, 
you know, in our hobby, for sure, they they don't get the respect that they would have that that somebody you know thirty years ago would have gotten when they were riding off into the sunset. Um, so it's it that kind of saddens me because uh, the pageantry of that is gone. A guy getting three thousand hits or five hundred home runs or or both. Well, the main the main assault on that idea is that the dilution of people's attention is so uh, I mean, people just have so much stuff to pay attention to mm-hmm. back then baseball was it. I mean, think of baseball in the fifties in New York, right. Or, yep. Yep. I mean, that was it. Your life revolved around it literally. Mm-hmm. And I can remember in, and this is going to be very hyper-focused, but it's a, it's a, it's a point that in 2010, 2011, when the Rangers actually made it to the World Series for the first time in their history, I literally planned my I looked at the schedule of when they were playing and I don't do that for the World Series only if the Rangers were in it, which is versus back then it was when is the World Series? Who's playing in it? Now, if it was your hometown team, you were even more invested, but America cared about when the games were. They wanted to listen and and watch. And when television became a thing and pre-television on the radio and all of that, it mattered more then than it does now because we're so distracted with all the other crap in life. And so, and all the other sports Mm -hmm. and esports, And I mean, there's just so much dilution of our attention that it's less impactful that those moments, even if they did happen. Right. I think uh, I was, I think I, when, when do you think the last great baseball moment was? Well, I would like to say bonds breaking Aaron, but that was so muted mm-hmm. because of the controversy surrounding that accomplishment. Um, I mean, Hank Aaron didn't even show up. Right. He did a video <laughs> response to that. So I'm going to tell you what I think it was. Okay. I think it was yeah, tw- tw- 2131. Um, uh, Ripken. And, and I was there and it was the last, it was the last, it feels like the last time the country united behind baseball to me. That's what it feels like. And that was what? 95, 95. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So that was a long time ago. I thought 98 was pretty unifying. I think there were a, a lot point. of right. common people going, who's did, did he hit one today? You know, right. who hit one today? Maguire or Sosa. Yeah. That, that was a, a pretty big deal. Um, and I, that wasn't, that was a series of, of moments, right? That was a summer. Sure. That was, that's a, true. you know, or a, or a September or whatever. I just feel like you talk about Bronca versus Bobby Thompson or, uh, Reggie hitting three, really four, four swings, four homers. People forget about the one a day before. Um, mm-hmm. so I feel like, uh, you know, baseball doesn't have that anymore, which is interesting because we have a short attention span and, but we can't. You know, it's like the news cycle. As soon as something happens, uh, you know, the news always, you know, what we got bad news with COVID. Let's, let's have, you know, let's have a war, bump it off and uh, we'll talk about the war now. It's just the way it is, right? We, we move on quickly. I tell my, my clients as a, as a financial planner, when they're worried about some crisis, I said, don't worry, tomorrow there'll be another crisis. <laughs> exactly. And, and it's just true. There's always yeah. the next crisis to distract us from things. And what I think cards can do is anchor you to a moment, anchor you to a period, anchor you to a player, a time, right? And we need those anchor points in our life. I think those are super important. I remember driving for the first time on my own after I got my license. I remember getting married. I remember my children being born. There are these Mm -hmm. anchor moments that we have. Baseball has those Unfortunately, they're long, you know, again, most of them pre my lifetime, but I've read so much about them and learned so much about them that they're anchor points in my life in, in the, in the, not that I lived them, but that I have experienced them through stories and, and, and cards, honestly, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the 61 tops card that shows Bill Mazeroski, you know, coming in after he hit the home run in game seven to beat the Yankees. Over over Barra's head, by the way, mm-hmm. he was playing left field, which is 
ironic. That was but, a weird setup, by the way. You know, Elson Howard and Joe yeah. Bauer, I couldn't tell who was playing what position, right? It's just uh, always, yeah. So, so, you know what's great about collecting, Mike, is that uh, people that might not have much in common can find common ground, right? And uh, I'd like to think there there isn't, you know, there's not there's no politics in collecting. There's no religion in collecting. It doesn't seem to be a racial bias. I mean, you had to be a fool to be a collector and, and, and be a bigot, right? So that's that's one of the joys about about this. And uh, one of the things I love about it is is people, you know, it, it's not, it, it's exclusive and it, it, it's inclusive and not exclusive. So, um, you know, on a social aspect, on a social, social level, that's, that's, it's not a lot of endeavors you can point to that 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 um, can equal what what we do for a hobby. That's for no sure. No doubt, and I would actually argue that cards. I mean, I grew up in Texas in the South, never raised to think about the color of a person's skin, and I think I we were maybe the first generation where that was less important than the than the nature of the person. Mm-hmm. Baseball is a wonderful equalizer in that I love Mays and Aaron who are black men. I love Roberto Clemente who's Latin. I love, you know, it didn't, doesn't matter what the color of their skin is. Like you said, it, it, I just cared how good of a ball ball player they were. Right. They hit run throw. Right. I didn't care. I, I loved all of them as a kid. I didn't even think, well, he's black or he it just never even came up in my brain mm-hmm. as a young man that that would matter at all. I didn't think about it. So that's it. It just got rid of all. It just never even I don't know how to how to say it, but it was yeah, a factor. And and uh, what I another thing I love about sports in general is none of us are wrong and and. And we're all right when we you can debate about this stuff for days on end. My my son uh, texted me the other day when I was at the gym, my oldest son, and uh, complaining that, you know, the Sixers sold their soul or, or Philadelphia sold their soul by winning the Super Bowl. Uh, and the Sixers will never win a championship with Joe, Joel Embiid. So then I pointed out that Ted Williams and Ty Cobb and Dan Marino never won championships. Right. And it began an hour long discussion about you know, winding around Mike Trout about him saying Mike Trout is the greatest player ever. And me saying, well, look up, you know, Joe DiMaggio and Ted Williams and Hank Aaron. And, and that's what, that's the joy, the joy about it. You can spend an hour talking to somebody from a different generation and none of us are wrong and none of us are right. So that's, that's another, another part of this whole thing that makes it so wonderful. So in your unique opinion, we all have our own unique opinions who are maybe top five baseball players of all time? Well, you use the word unique, right? I'm, I'm so, I'm either I, describing my personality. I'm either, I, I tend to think of myself as so normal that I'm probably abnormal, right? Because I'm, I'm cut and dry on a lot of things. But I also like to say, you know, I like to have what ifs. What if, uh, you know, the, the cats back in the early 1900s played with the gloves that they had in the 1990s, right? Would there have been as many hits that uh, Lajouet and Cobb and, and all those, Sisler and and Trispeaker, would they have had as many hits as they got, right? Um, would they have done as well as they did considering they were only playing against 25% of the greatest baseball players, right? So half of the great baseball players were eliminated because of their race, and then there was no interleague play there too, right? So uh, I have all these qualifiers in there, which is is kind of wacky, but I, I, I think about that stuff a lot. But with that said, I'm going to tell you, hitter-wise, Ted Williams was the greatest hitter of all time. Uh, Hank Aaron was the greatest hitter of my lifetime. Uh, Joe DiMaggio, I put number three because uh, what he did in the short amount of time he played um, was absolutely phenomenal, right? We're talking about... You know, the runs scored, runs driven in, on-base percentages, all that stuff. You look at guys like that, absolutely amazing. I posted today about, uh, or last night when I went to bed, about uh, Robert Moses Grove, also known as Lefty, uh, had the Triple Crown in 1930, 
and he led the league in saves as well, right? Which is crazy. Uh, I know they're all stats, and uh, you can read them any way you want. But um, again, that's that's what's what's great about this. Now, Mike Trout. You know, I hear this talk about we should let players into the Hall of Fame while they're active. I I think that that's the most nonsensical thing I've ever heard in my life. Right? <laughs> I'm with you. You know, I I don't who who comes up with that idea. You know, I don't, I don't know, and who perpetuates it? Who perpetuates it is even more um, uh, amazing to me. Right? Yeah. So. So uh, anyway, I gave you my top three. I'm going to tell you Michael Jordan's the greatest basket- basketball player of all time, and I grew up with Dr. J. I grew up with uh, uh, Bird and Magic. Uh, Will Chamberlain's from Philadelphia, the greatest athlete ever from Philadelphia. Uh, but I will tell you Michael Jordan's a goat there. Um, don't really care about hockey that much to, or don't know enough about it to name the, the best player in hockey. But um, football's a little tougher, and Tom Brady obviously is the greatest quarterback ever. Uh, so, uh, that's that, that's my trip down there. Now you can't get me to name, uh, after, after, uh, those three hitters that I named, you can't get me to name anymore, but, um, and I know DiMaggio and Williams didn't play their entire careers in an integrated, uh, major league baseball, but I think it's, uh, Hank Aaron doesn't get the credit he deserves. I think, you know, the funnest stat people reel off is take away all his homers and he still had 3000 hits. Yeah. Played on a lot of bad teams. Had a little bit of protection with Eddie Matthews, obviously, but still, um, you know, he did it with dignity and and uh, and uh, with a lot of with a lot of baggage that the rest of us didn't have to face going into work every day. That's for sure. I think it's such a difficult discussion to have about trying to. I think if you were to break it out into eras, you could make your top five, top ten players much simpler. Mm-hmm. Um, if you try to say encompass all of baseball history and name the top 10, it's, it's almost an impossible task. Cause as you said, you're comparing apples to oranges really. Right. And that's not fair to either side of that argument. So it's, it's very difficult. Um, I, I love the, you mentioned the Aaron and Eddie Matthews. If you look at a lot of the great players, they had such a complimentary, someone complimentary with them. Mays had, McCovey, right? And Cepeda, uh, right? Yep. And Cepeda mm-hmm. and Monty Irvin early in his career. I mean, it was it wasn't just Mays. You had right. uh Mantle always had, you know, a litany of guys, but Maris or you know, Vera, whomever. Vera, right. It wasn't just Moose Scour at times, all that right? stuff. Moose yeah. Hank Bauer, lots of those kinds of guys. Um Clemente had Stargell. You know, they weren't good until Stargell got there, really. Yep. yep. Right? Well, they won before Stargell got there, but they were scrappers for sure. Right. Different team yeah. than they were once Stargell got there. You know, it, it's so cool to to just – Ruth had Gehrig, and uh, Ruth was great pre-Gehrig, but, mm-hmm. you know, it, anyway, it's just – So I noticed I, you didn't mention the two of my top three there. didn't have anybody. Yeah, Williams was pretty much a solo act for the Red Sox. He was so bad. DiMaggio had Gehrig at the beginning and Mantle at the end, but most of his career, I mean, he only played, what, 13, 14, 15 seasons, something like that. Not even that. I mean, he he retired early and he lost three or four years to the war. Yeah. Um, And that's, uh, anyway, God, we could go off on so many tangents on this. All right, I got a couple. So you mentioned, reading history and, and all of that. Are there any favorite baseball books that you have that you would recommend for people if they're wanting to bone up on their baseball history? Uh, well, the, the one I'm reading now, right? The Baseball 100, is it, right? Uh, is it Poznanski, Joe Poznanski? Uh, it's absolutely phenomenal. If you haven't read it, I'm, I'm unfortunately, I'm, I'm reading three books at once right now, which is, I don't know. It seems confusing. Yeah. Tell me about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, it, it for spe- especially for my capacity to to handle information, it's 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 bad. But uh, the other one is Big Hair and Plastic Grass, right? Which is about the seventies, and it's a great book. I'm halfway through that because I'm right around nineteen seventy five. It kind of it's a year by year about the seventies baseball um, situation. And uh, if if anybody that's listened to my shows, obviously I'm a, I'm a 
a 70s fanboy, right? All, all across the board, music, television, but baseball, um, you know, and this book kind of highlights a lot of that. Baseball changed so much in the 70s, more so than any decade, in every aspect from the surface it was played on to the uniforms to, uh, you know, still feeling the effects today, right? Uh, designated hitter gets implemented in the National League. Well, that's obviously a 50-year tradition in the AL at this point. So free agency, all that stuff. So uh, I don't think baseball grew as much as it did as it did uh, in the 1970s. And um, what a time to be around, you know, for, for, for me as a young kid learning the game and loving the game. Happened to be, as I was just kind of getting a grasp for the game, uh, the Phillies got better in, uh, you know, running off three straight um, uh, NL East titles, and and just there was dynasties in there. It had everything, right? So uh, colorful owners. That's when Steinbrenner and, and Charlie fin- Finley were at their apex. So really, uh, that book kind of encapsulates that. And I, I, it's one of those things where I can't wait to finish, but I hope it doesn't end at the same time because I just can't get enough. Uh, I can't get enough of the seventies, obviously. So, um, and then, uh, I don't know. I had a book of the third book around here somewhere. It's over there somewhere. But, uh, anyway, stuff like that. I love, uh, and I, I, I need to catch up on my reading for sure. I need to, I need to keep going back. Thankfully there's so many biographies and stuff like that, that, that I know Ray from Philly reads a lot of them and, uh, I need to get better at doing that. So is that a lost art? Do you think? In, our, in just our world, maybe. Yeah. Reading? Yes. Oh, for sure, because the computer's so easy, right? Click, click, right. click. I love to read, but uh, a, a little bit of a concession is that, you know, as you get older, you can't last as long as you used to when you start reading. It's almost like... Um, it's like a sleeping pill. Yeah, it is, right? Yeah. It's, which sucks, because I love to, you know, got to put the glasses on, and then you got to read, and then it's... And, uh, I need to carve out more time, for sure, to... Uh, to read because I've always loved reading, uh, especially uh, nonfiction, whether it's biographies or, or history. So, baseball follows right into all that. Falls right into all that with uh, you know, with the uh, all the books that have been written about it. So, any hobby books that come to mind? Yeah, I have the one back there uh, somewhere back there. The um, the Hannes Wagner one, right? Um, hold on a second. I'm in the middle of mint condition right now. I have that one back there. I'm in the middle of mint condition right now. Yeah. So, uh, which is a good book, a lot of useful stuff in there. Um, and I kind of alluded to it in my uh, last week's show about, you know, these guys that designed these cards starting from the fifties were all comic book guys, right? Illustrators and stuff like that. And it was almost like they were selling their soul to design baseball cards, but they still found a way to wedge uh, comic strips into uh, the backs of cards, and then eventually in the 70s, uh, 1970 with baseball and 71, 72 with hockey, um, and then 79 and such uh, full-on comic book type things with, you know, intertwined with sporting, uh, with the sport releases. So uh, that's a nice little subversive thing there. Um, I'm not a comic book guy. I know you are, right, which is interesting. Um, but I think, and I mentioned that last week, was uh, – there was a point where I think comic books were probably more uh, widely um, uh, distributed and distributed and loved by by kids than than baseball cards. I think right, and uh, it's interesting how uh, that changed at some point. But I've never been a comic book person. All my comic, my entire comic repertoire is on the back of baseball cards. Um, there you go. Yeah. Well, I am excited about this weekend uh, as we're filming this, The as we're recording this, the Dallas show is coming up this weekend. Are you looking forward to it? I am. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing people like yourself and, and some of the other folks that we uh, uh, mutually uh, know and uh, collaborate with. So uh, it'll be fun. Um, of course, seeing Rich and Dr. Jim, That's that'll be the highlight of the trip, obviously. So. Uh, looking forward to uh, attending. I was at the show last September and had a had a good time. I actually uh, picked up a couple Mickey Mantles there, so that won't be happening this time. But um, yeah, I was uh, 
looking forward to it. I don't know if I'm going to buy anything. And that's what's great about it is I don't have to, you know, I'm not going into it with I have to come home with this, that, and the other thing. I have my hit list that I carry, uh, but if I don't check anything off of it, it's not a big deal. Yeah, I think that's the the vintage collector mindset is patience and the marathon, not a sprint mentality. I don't have to have all these today, tomorrow, someday, but right. not, no hurry. I'll enjoy the journey. And, and that gets lost a lot with the younger generation, I think, just because they're, you know, wham, bam, on to the next thing, short attention spans moving on. Do you get tired? I, I've always said that I never get tired of going to shows. To me, it's never boring. I always find it fun and, and enjoyable. Do you ever get tired of going to shows? No, there's a buzz, right? You can, you know, there's something in the air, an electricity in the air. And, you know, you guys have the Dallas show, which is probably the the uh, second biggest show in the country behind the national, I would think. Um, yeah, that's correct. All right. And uh, I've been to other shows around the country. And uh, I have, we have the Philly show here, which you would love. I don't know whether you've ever been, but it's... No, it's, but I need to. That's on my... Yeah. To do list. A heavy, heavy vintage, right? It's 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 the opposite of, of most shows where there's a overwhelming majority of, of um both cards and ephemera. You can find all sorts of things and in the corner every now and then you see a guy sitting with all his his uh shiny stuff. But for the most part it's oddball stuff. So I'm fortunate that I get to taste that a couple times a year. Um, I heard the but, last one was crazy busy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that they've outgrown that facility, um, but you know, it's 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 a nice location. It's right down the road for me, and it's actually where you know, my first job out of high school is. I, I worked in that that uh, complex there, so met my wife there, all that stuff. So it holds a special place in my heart. But um, it's 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 a great show. It really is uh, a great show. So uh, we never get sick of going there. Dallas, I think, is so big that it's awesome. You can find anything you want, um, whatever type of collecting you want to do. So, and I don't listen, man, you and I, everybody wants a waterfront property for sure. Right. You and I are okay being on, um, a few blocks you, off. The well, trip. no, yeah. we're on, we got waterfront property, but you, you know, it's Lake Ostego up in, uh, right. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm on the North shore in a tent. You're a little closer to town than I am, but you know, the waves don't, uh, take out our house and, and, and stuff like that. So it's, you know, the hobby moves fast and I'm okay not being, you know, on the Gulf coast or the Atlantic coast. I'm happy being inland a little bit. Well, I need uh, to make sure and tell the the listeners and the watchers that John just used a word that has never been used on this show. He used ephemera just for, so y'all know it's the plural of ephemeron, which is Items to be designed. I'm reading the dictionary of what that means. I'm teaching you guys a new word for your vocabulary. Items designed to be useful or important for only a short time, especially pamphlets, notices, tickets, etc. So that is what ephemera is. Can and you look up Fugazi while you're there? Oh, We're working through the alphabet here. I doubt that Fugazi. <laughs> it might be in the slang, the what's the dictionary for uh, urban dictionary urban, urban yeah, dictionary yeah. right no no if you want to go there. But ephemera is a, is a yeah. is a is a great word of the day for you guys so find a find an opportunity to use ephemera in a sentence over the next week and you'll be uh, you'll impress your friends and don't ask me to spell it please uh well i believe it or not when i put it in dictionary i spelt it right the very first time E-P-H, which is huh? yeah it's an EP, it's a ph so yeah, I never get tired of shows. I, I, I love. I, it's become more the social part of the show for me, which is. I love the cards. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, I, I still have to tell my friends, hey, I want to go look. You know, like at the national. I know you'll be at the national this year as well. And are no, are you going? I can't remember. Uh, I absolutely intend to go, but I I might be over in Europe. Uh, I have to figure out what's going on. Hopefully, okay. I can get back in time. We'll see. Well. Have you been before? You've been before. I've been to, I was actually at one in Atlantic City in the late 80s. And okay. then uh, I, I, I was at the 91 in Anaheim when I was living there. So that's the last one I was at. Okay. It's it's changed a lot, just so you know. Cards, uh, the cards I won are the same that were there in 91. That's right. <laughs> that's so true. It doesn't matter. Good point. Very good point. 
So I know you have, a, you know, you have a YouTube channel, mm-hmm. um, but what other kinds of hobby content do you put out there? Well, I, you know, I started as a podcast and probably, uh, uh, well, not probably, but obviously heavily influenced uh, by Dr. Jim's daily podcast. And it was on at 1.7 days a week. Uh, so I started talking into the microphone. I'm not a very outgoing uh, person. So it was kind of a good way just to, but I'm an opinionated person, which I know it sounds very strange, but that's what happens when you grow up in an Irish household in Philadelphia. You do have opinions. So it was a, I was able to talk into this little microphone and say what I wanted to say. And then one day, you know, after meeting Rich and Dr. Jim, I decided I'm going to interview these guys. And the only way to do that was via uh, teleconferencing, right, Zoom. So my first YouTube episode which was the 20th episode of my podcast, was uh, with Rich, an interview with Rich. And it was awesome because, you know, Rich Rich is rich, obviously, but we got to talk about other stuff, about music, how he grew up, where he grew up, when he grew up, all that stuff. So I enjoy that part. I enjoy the backstories. Like if I were to buy a collection from someone or a car, or cards from somebody that's not a, a dealer, I like to find out the backstory. You know, what's what's the story with these cards? So it's kind of a good thing. You know, I, I when I interview folks, I try to... You know, we know about the cards, and everybody talks about cards, and many, most, or all do it much better than I do and have much more knowledge about the cards than I do. But I like to kind of figure out the human part of it, you know, uh, and and talk, you know, kind of like what we're doing now. So, uh, so yeah, now I'm, I'm, I'm still podcasting and simulcasting the shows on YouTube and, um, and anywhere for the podcast. I think I'm up to, I think I just finished episode 51. Episode 52 is coming up. Uh, this guy right here will be the topic of episode 52. And well, for uh, those listening, what are you, what are you putting your hand on there? Looking at a brown Naga hide, uh, three ring binder with a set in it, nice. uh, to be, to be disclosed, um, whenever I release the podcast or whenever I research the podcast. But, uh, it'll be a year at the end of this month uh, that I started, which is kind of cool. Um, don't have any plan. You know, Dr. Jim kind of asked, asked me, like, hey, you know, uh, there's only so many sets from the 70s. And I think that as much as I respect Dr. Jim at this point, he could he's probably will admit that he backtracked on that because he thought I'd talk about 10 baseball sets and the show would be over in two months. So uh, we found some nuggets in there. Got a lot of people contribute. Uh, ideas, which is awesome. And it's not just the cards or sets, but I talk about arenas and stadiums and stuff like that. A couple, couple uh, human stories uh, Fritz about Fritz and Mike, for example, from the Yankees that um, some people have uh, commented on. So I just talk about the 70s. There's so much there. And uh, it's a very valuable, valuable uh, uh, uh decade to to mine uh the minerals from for sure so what kind of content do you like to consume you mentioned dr beckett show are you a podcast listener youtube watcher both what do you yeah i hate i hate uh i love music but i hate listening to the radio in the car because of commercials so i love i there isn't enough content out there mike i know people say that the field's crowded there isn't enough content that i like to listen to out there um you know, I I can run down my list, and those who I watch and listen to, I'm, I know know that by now. But I I don't mind long form content. Some of my shows are thirty minutes. Some of my shows are an hour and thirty minutes. I you know, I I like the the longer the better. Uh, and part of my um, part of my fire part of part of it was influenced by Matt Salmon, Wax Ecstatic, who used to do long form shows, heavily researched. They would go about an hour and a half. He no longer uh creates content from what I gather, but I like that because I can go to the gym and work out for an hour or an hour and a half and listen to a show. Uh drive around, sorting cards, right? What better way to to um consume content than, than sorting cards? Of course you have to look up every now and then, but uh, still I love I love it all. I, you know, I absolutely love it all. So great. Uh, so when you all are at the gym, put on golden age of cardboard or always do. Yep. Or I know yours, I know your story better than you know, your story. At this point. So, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's funny how people, when I talk to people in there, Oh, I remember this episode or that episode. And I'm like, 
I don't even remember that. How yeah. do you people remember that? Everybody, everybody wants more Julie Man. on my show, uh, especially the the YouTube show. Uh, they want well, have Julie open your next mail or whatever. And right. so people remember stuff that I find just amazingly fascinating. And it goes to show how people get invested in, I think if you're authentic as a content creator, which uh, I mean, I don't know how else to be. I, there are a lot of guys out there that I go, man, if that guy's really like that in person, that's kind of weird. Right. Um, and I know some guys that aren't the way they are on camera as they are in person. And that's both a positive and a negative. Uh, I'm, this is me, like what you guys hear every week on this show, what you see on YouTube, that's just how I am. And, and sometimes I put my foot in my mouth and, uh, but most of the time I just speak what I think. And a lot of people like it. Some people don't <laughs> welcome well, you, to life. You right? and I, you and I talked on the phone a couple hours ago and you had to shut me down because we were just talking. I know. We, you know what I mean? And that's the way, yeah. whether there's a microphone or a camera there, who it doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter to you. It's just, you know, I'll talk, right? I'll talk about yeah. it and I'm, and I'm passionate about it. So I'll, I'll talk and it's not, you know, I don't wait for the red light to come on or, or anything like that, you know, and we'll probably have conversation or two this weekend the same way. So I certainly hope so. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to, we're, we're, we're working guys on trying to get John over here uh, somehow because you know how much I love showing this stuff off, not from a flex standpoint, but from a sharing the joy part of it. Why don't you take Julie out to dinner and I'll just uh, I'll babysit Norman. Yeah. Okay. Get out of there for a couple of hours and I'll take, <laughs> I'll hold down the fort. Yeah. You won't be bored. <laughs> I promise you that both with Norman and, the the cards uh but hey so lou gehrig's your favorite player right he is and uh nolan ryan number two who um i respect nolan ryan and what he did in his career i think he was amazing and in his era i think he was the he just played on such bad teams yep. you know uh i think he, and was, he was always second fiddle right he was frank tanana's second fiddle for many yeah. years he was jr richard Scott. And, yeah and, and joe Nico. Yep. yeah i mean but he outlasted all of his mm -hmm. endurance and i mean anybody that sets a record that will never be broken uh is, is pretty impressive no one's going to hit 56 games in a row ever again no one's going to. They will. They'll do it over three seasons, but they, they, they might. Right. right. Spot starts, right? No, I'm, and no one's going to. You know, I'm talking about like Joe DiMaggio's yeah. game, hitting yep. streak. Uh, I mean, there there are some baseball records that are that are unbreakable. 5,714 strikeouts is never going to be broken. Nope. So, it, I no, I don't know if he's. God, it's hard to say. No, probably Mays or Aaron are hmm. my second favorite. Interesting. And I know uh, how much you like uh, the Mick, and he's not in in the Mick's probably not three. even top five. I'm not saying his... greatest baseball players, but he's no. I'm saying even favorite of mine. Interesting. Huh. I think hobby wise, Mickey Mantle is the greatest hobby figure ever. No doubt, and it's up to people like you and I to continue to educate people because it pops up on. And listen, I you know, I've got no dog in the fight in the Mickey Mantle game, but it's just, he, his influence on the hobby is undeniable. And it's, yeah. and people need to be reminded of that. He isn't the greatest baseball player ever. He's just, he is the greatest uh, hobby icon ever. Uh, as far as I'm concerned. No, there, I don't know how you could argue anyone else, honestly. Right. Um, uh, to me, Ruth is the greatest baseball player ever, but, yeah his hobby and, and he's very popular in the hobby who doesn't want a Ruth card in their collection. But at mm -hmm. the same time, there's it's more mantle so much more obtainable. It's still expensive, but they're all, they're all over the place. You go to a show right. and there's mantles everywhere. Ruth cards are less, <laughs> less uh, available. Right? right. So um it's, I, I think hobby good and, and baseball good are two very different things. And For sure. They can be, that can be like, I think Brooke, Frank Robinson is amazing baseball good, not as hobby good. They're not equal. Right. Right. And you mostly, especially from vintage, I think it's more baseball great 
versus hobby. The, the hobby hasn't caught up to the greatness that they were in the sport. Um, I think of Mel Ott and Jimmy Fox and you know, guys. Who's that? Al, Al Simmons. Simmons. Yes. One of the most phenomenal hitters that nobody's heard of, right? Yes. Most people haven't heard of. And now we've heard of them and I, mm-hmm. you know, uh, it's just so different. Harry Heilman as an, you know, he's way old school, but a guy like that, or mm-hmm. even guys like Mike Schmidt and George Brett and Tony Gwynn and yeah, they're yeah, they're, it, yeah we're running into it. Like, you know, yeah. A lot of these great players like Yount and Molitor and Dave, even Dave Winfield, right. It's, you know, Dave Winfield was, sort of a charismatic guy. He was great at what he did, but nobody cares about him. Not even in the hobby. You know, I mean, it's, he's, he doesn't get a lot of love there and, and I'm not advocating for him to get more love. It's just, uh, it's interesting how there's hobby icons and, and some of these guys, no matter how great they were, you know, will never be recognized in the hobby. Yeah. And that's okay. It just makes your stuff, stuff cheaper for you and yeah, me, right? For sure. Uh, yeah. That's okay. Uh, I have seen the hobby prices go up kind of across the board, even the Phil Necros and the, you know, the guys that were previously, you could buy their stuff all day for super cheap is now not as cheap and it's still not expensive relative to the big guys, but it's two, three X what it was, which is like, wow, it went from a $10 card to a $30 card. Um, And they haven't done anything to, and they haven't done anything, status, right? yeah. And it pains me to have to pay uh, what I've been paying lately just because that's what the market is. But mm-hmm. guys like Bob Gibson or right. um, I, mean, I think Koufax's greatness, albeit a short period of that uh, six years, you know, five, six years is being recognized. Jackie's finally getting his due in right. the hobby. Yeah, his, his stuff's exploded, right? Right. Uh, so you, you do see this. Even Gehrig's stuff has gone bananas in the hobby. And that's good to see whether it's finally catching up, getting where it should have been, which is kind of what I think is happening. Like it's about bloody time right. that Willie Mays is worth what w- Willie yeah. Mays should be worth more than Mike Trout, period. Like, I'm sorry. Yep. I mean, the fact that they wouldn't be is silly to me. But uh, anyway, um, so tell everybody where they can find your show. Uh, both on YouTube and podcast. Uh, that 70s card show, real easy. It's all spelled out, no numbers in there. Uh, YouTube or um, any any of the podcast platforms, at uh, 70s card on Twitter. I'm on Instagram, but I'm not. And uh, yeah, there I am. I'm sort of approachable. Well, if you're if you're watching this on YouTube, I will put a link down to John's channel here. Uh, it is amazing to me that I look and you have fewer than 100 subscribers on YouTube. That is uh, saves just, a lot on Christmas cards. It mine. Does, it awesome. does. Yeah. It does. Yeah. Uh, any final thoughts before we we head off into the sunset today? We've spoken for 58 minutes and eight seconds, and I have not mentioned my baseball idol once. And I'll do that before we leave. And that's Carl Michael Yastrzemski. So, uh, you know, not the greatest baseball player ever, but my favorite baseball player. Well, I, man, okay. I did a whole episode on Yastrzemski, by the way. (laughs) I did a whole episode. I think it was episode five or six of this podcast Mm -hmm. was all about the cards and career of Carl Yastrzemski. He is. You couldn't wait to episode eight, huh? No. Oh, that's a good, I should have. I did mine on episode eight. Yeah. Uh, way underrated he was you know he took over for ted right so mm-hmm. he had this huge shadow he was playing under and yet became probably the second greatest red sock of all time yep yep i mean and listen this guy he he kind of injured his shoulder in the, around the turn of the 70s and he, he he was on fire back then right yeah you know, whether you're a warmonger or not he was racking up the war in the late 60s and uh, had to change his stance, his swing, all that stuff, and still put together a pretty decent career, right? First American leaguer to have 400 home runs and 3,000 hits. And, uh, yeah, that whole thing, listen, you go from Williams to Yaz to Jim Rice in left field at Fenway. That's just a phenomenal run right there. Yeah, um, and you had, so. uh, you had Gehrig to DiMaggio to Mantle in the Yankee world. 
Yeah, not the same not position, the same, though. Not, yeah, not but yeah, you're right. No yep, doubt. True that. But uh, yeah, it's... Uh, and pray for Ray from Philly. He's doing his uh, PSA run of uh, Yaz cards right now, so I hope he makes... I hope he makes it halfway. Um, that's I have cool. an entire tops Yaz run plus a, several ancillaries. Um, graded, all graded. Yes. Yeah, he's coming for you, then, man. Watch out. Well, I've already got him. I don't. I'm yeah. Not well, he can he can still that. overtake you on the registry, right? Oh, I don't care. That's, <laughs> <laughs> the registries are great, but it's not that great. Yeah, like I don't. I'm not yeah. sitting there going, "Oh my gosh," because most of it's faceless and nameless, which make or not nameless, but faceless. So right. you don't even know these. You're competing against a ghost, essentially. Yeah. And you could fear. Well, I guess you could go find serial numbers of all these cards and high grades and make up a registry if you wanted to. What? I don't know. It's like that to me. That's like cheating in golf. All, Unless the they're already in there, right? If- if they're already registered, you can't. For sure. Out, right? yeah. yeah, you have to find serial numbers that are not, quote unquote, claimed by someone already. But I'm creeping on you, man. You're doing, I'm, I'm, I'm spying on you in the, the, the top 300, Mike Payne 300 registry. You're doing all right up there. Thanks. So in the, <laughs> you might need an oxygen tank soon. You're getting way up there. It's uh, love. I mean, uh, the cards I need are all four figure all comma cards you know <laughs> yeah there's yeah. nothing cheap anymore um i i may have gotten one today which i showed you earlier mm-hmm. um we'll, we'll see where that ends up landing in that deal but john thanks for joining the show today thanks for being here and uh i appreciate you look forward to meeting you this this weekend at the dallas show awesome thank you mike it was a pleasure i appreciate it all right everybody out there take care thanks for watching thanks for listening we'll talk to you soon and keep collecting